0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flyover State Science, a podcast where two Midwestern scientists demystify the coolest science out of the middle of the country. I'm Jackie. And I'm Kelsey. And we're
1: here to do the research so you don't have to. Welcome back to Flyover State Science. Today, we'll be covering a not-at-all-controversial topic of genetically-modified organisms, or GMOs.
0: I am very excited to talk about GMOs because we at Flyover State Science love these non-controversial topics, such as vaccines, GMOs, and antibiotic-resistant bacteria.
1: So there's a lot of concern surrounding GMOs. You've probably heard of GMOs in the news, and you've probably started to see labels on food products that say non-GMO. In the future, I think we'll definitely come back to this topic several times over because it is such a huge thing um, to discuss like the ecological and the potential health concerns related to GMOs. But today we're gonna start with just the basics.
0: Exactly, and we've already kind of laid some of the groundwork for the concept of GMOs in our episode about DNA and genetics, where we interviewed Dr. Jay Vivian and talked about the basics of genetics, what is a gene, etc. So if you're feeling a little rusty on the subject, please feel free to check out that episode, and we can all brush up before jumping into GMOs, and specifically what we're talking about today is GMOs in the context of agriculture.
1: Today we're just going to talk about what GMOs are, who makes them, who approves them, and then we're going to do a sort of game where we pretty much break down what exact genetic changes have been made to the organisms, and Kelsey's going to
0: have to guess which organisms
1: they've been made to.
0: This game is very unfair because I don't have the answers to start with, but... The modifications and the organism of origin are probably going to be a little bit surprising in some of these situations. So, I'm excited to lose. So, Jackie, what is a GMO? Uh, well, it's
1: one of these three, and you're going to have to guess. So, don't look. Okay, so is a GMO an organism with any changes made to its DNA in a laboratory? Option one. Okay, Options reasonable. Option two, an organism made in a laboratory that could not be made by traditional breeding breeding methods. Or three, an organism that has been bitten by a radioactive spider and now has superpowers.
0: Okay, is this one of those asterisk ones? Because I feel like option number three is not realistic but could be a very excellent way to make a GMO. However, I think, based on my slightly unfair preconceived knowledge of GMOs, even Gregor Mendel was specifically breeding his pea plants for specific traits, which is kind of like A, which is any sort of changes in the DNA. So I'm probably going to say B, which is the changes in the DNA, which can't be introduced by traditional breeding. Also, asterisk, the radioactive spider should not be discounted.
1: Yes, we can remain agnostic to (laughs) the radioactive spider-induced GMOs. We do not currently have approved radioactive spider-induced GMOs on the market, but you never know. Patent pending. Oh, goodness. Yes, so you you struck on an important point there. So we've been modifying the genetic makeup of crops and animals for thousands of years as as part of just domesticating crops and just crossing plants and animals together that have desirable traits. And that, in essence, is changing their DNA. But what GMOs are, are things that are made in a lab through recombinant DNA technology that could not occur naturally through breeding. So it typically means that DNA has been moved from another organism, like a specific gene has been moved from another organism into your organism of choice. And who makes these GMOs? So you probably think of some of the big companies like Monsanto, but there are several companies that make GMOs, um, including Pioneer, DuPont, Dow, Bayer, as well as many others and smaller firms. And it falls to the at least in the U.S., the USDA, the FDA, and the EPA to approve and regulate the use of GMOs.
0: Jackie, why do we need to approve and regulate the use of plants?
1: I believe if anything is to be consumed or sold for human consumption, it automatically falls under that umbrella of needing approval by the FDA and to be grown in the U.S., approval by the USDA. Um, so there's there's this Underlying need that for everything that we need to make sure it's safe for humans to to eat. They really haven't made many changes to the FDA approval guidelines since the introduction of GMOs in the early 1990s. Which a lot of critics have said is is probably not the best. Like there should be a dedicated branch within the government to... Um, approve GMOs and handle them. That We've kind of been forcing them through our traditional system, mm-hmm. which still makes sure that they're safe for human consumption. But still, it's maybe not the most efficient or effective method right now.
0: Well, in the context of government, too, things move quite a bit more slowly. We are quite a bit more con- challenged when it comes to allocating resources, to developing whole new arms of government to deal with these things. And it has been a consistent struggle as people who are in the sciences can see that the technology and the science that we now have accessible to us in our daily lives far outpaces the rate at which the government and the policy can keep up. Mm -hmm. However, a lag between 2017 having the GMOs and the technology that we have and regulations that were at last reviewed in the early 90s Seems a little bit outrageous. Yeah. It's quite a gap.
1: And I think probably I could see us doing an episode in the future where we really break down the regulation process. Mm-hmm. God, that sounds so boring as they say it out loud. You
0: know, it does. <laughs> and like to people like us, it's really interesting yeah. because part of the reason why it is so slow is because it is so thorough. And we review everything so critically. There's so many eyes that these different regulations see, and so many different brains that these things have to trickle through before making it to where they're going. But in the context of all the safety and stuff like that, what is the is there an official stance on whether or not GMOs are safe from the scientists community at large? There is. So the position from the
1: scientific community, is that there is no evidence that GMOs present unique safety risks compared to conventionally bred products. So a GMO corn compared to a naturally bred corn is just as safe. Like there's no additional risk that you run by having a
0: GMO corn or eating GMO corn. And in the context of safety... We're a podcast which specifically shines a spotlight on the Midwest, so is there a specific significance to why people in the Midwest should care more about GMOs than perhaps others?
1: For I would say for two reasons. So one is just a general society factor um, that affects everyone across the country, the fact that nearly 90% of our cotton, corn, and sugar beets are all GMO right now. So we're very much exposed to GMO products. But for us here in the Midwest, point number two, we are characterized by our our large agricultural industry. And just to give you a few numbers, so here in my home state of Kansas, 44.5% of our economy is from agriculture, and over 80% of the land in Kansas is dedicated to farming. And from Kelsey's home state of Iowa, um, 18% of the nation's corn crop and 18% of the nation's soybean crop comes from Iowa, so that's a substantial amount from one single state.
0: Incredibly consistent, too.
1: So this is an issue not because not only because we are the consumers of GMO products, but we are also producing it in mass quantities here in the Midwest.
0: And quite a few people in the Midwest who have experience either firsthand, secondhand, family member, etc who deal with GMOs all have an appreciation that the GMOs that we use agriculturally are safe and if anything, they make, life easier and better for farmers and consumers. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, we don't really connect that back to why and the general sort of fear and suspicion surrounding GMOs. So I think this is an exciting episode to sort of pull back the veil a little bit and just talk frankly about GMOs.
1: Absolutely. Because we hear so much about them in the controversy, but we never really talk about what's their benefit and what exactly are they? Like, specifically, what is... It about GMOs, like what makes them genetically modified.
0: And there is an important sort of underlying thread to the conversation about GMOs, which is that the act of genetically modifying agricultural crops has allowed us to increase our yields and also take steps towards making sure that we can produce enough food to support the population of this world that is growing at such a pace. Mm-hmm. The issue in the United, a lot in a lot of places in the, in the United States, it's easy to forget that there is an issue with people having appropriate access to food, and the fact that we can genetically modify crops to become more resistant to drought and pests and increase yield has greatly improved the problem of world hunger. We still got a long ways to go. However, taking these steps has shown that we do have promise to be able to feed all of these people that are existing in this world as we know it.
1: And we have tools as scientists to do make these changes and improve these crops in a very delicate, um, precise way.
0: So. Well, now that we have GMOs, how widespread are they? If I'm going to walk into the grocery store, how likely is it that I'm going to bump into a genetically modified fruit or vegetable?
1: I think it's... well. Quite likely. However, there's relatively few food products on the market that are actually GMOs. Some things like oranges, like my Halo cutie oranges that I... No, they're not oranges. They're clementines, tangerines.
0: They're GMO oranges.
1: <laughs> no, they're not gmo <laughs> Because the sign on the, the orange bag says non-GMO, but I'm sitting there so frustrated because there are no gmo oranges <laughs> well they're not wrong they're
0: not <laughs> they're wrong. just
1: redundant it's like non gmo coconuts no we don't have gmo coconuts
0: <laughs> or gluten free coconut water or something like that there's also no wheat in there there's no gluten present and gluten is a whole another subject we're going to put a pin in that but so there are no gmo oranges okay Because I, years ago, before I came to grad school, I used to see things on Pinterest, such as look for produce in the grocery store that started with a number nine, because that meant that it was non-GMO. And I thought to myself, there are no GMOs in this grocery store because nothing starts with a number nine. Not realizing I wasn't there. And the grocery store to buy GMO products, and also my grocery store probably didn't have them. And if they did at that point, it was probably tooth of twenty ten. They probably weren't being labeled at that point anyway.
1: No, right now, except in California. No, not even in California. In Europe, right now. In Europe, in you, your, you you you're not required right now to label products that contain. GMOs. And I believe the verbiage that they're going to go with if it if it is instituted will be this product has been produced with modern biotechnology. Ooh. So that's the that's the phrase to look for, and it is true. It is true. That's I like that that version a lot better than genetically modified organisms because I feel like that's just a really crummy definition.
0: Well, and also, like we were talking about earlier in the episode, the idea of breeding plants together for desirable traits does actually change their genetics, which makes them a genetically modified organism, which to me is a fairly broad term, Mm -hmm. but the actual definition, like we said, for GMOs is quite specific. So the new labeling guidelines actually make more sense to, and are more specific rather Mm -hmm. than just genetically modified organism, which really could just be I liked this corn plant's yield and this corn plant's size, so we're going to breed them together, which also genetically modifies this organism. Mm -hmm.
1: All right, so we've talked about why we care about GMOs, why they're helpful, what the definition is, and we mentioned that there's not that many products that are GMOs um, that are approved for sale and consumption in the U.S., Um, And so we're actually going to go through six of them. I'm going to first state the specific genetic modification that has been made to a given organism. And Kelsey is going to guess what organism that is.
0: Okay. And I don't have a word bank or a crop bank. So we're just going to go with it and see what happens. I'm lowering the lid on my laptop. I'm not here to cheat. I'm here to learn.
1: Bam. Okay. So let's do this. So the first one, this organism has received a gene that is a mutated coat protein for the blank pox virus. I can't tell you the blank because it'll tell you (laughs) what it is. So it's a pox virus coat protein that's been mutated and that gene has been put into the organism.
0: Hmm. Okay, this one's hard.
1: This one isn't even a normal one.
0: <laughs> wait, so it's a virus coat protein? Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. Oh, like an integrated piece of viral DNA that they've mutated?
1: Almost. We've taken the viral DNA, so it hasn't been inserted into oh, it. we're, we're inserting taking, the we're, viral. Okay. We're inserting the viral coat protein, but we're giving it a bad copy so that when the virus then invades the plant, the bad copy of the coat protein messes up the virus replication cycle. And so oh. it Yeah. So okay, it gives so that it like a, a mis or a dysfunctional viral protein. So it blocks virus infection of this plant.
0: Got it. Okay, because a lot of organisms, humans included, have integrated viral DNA in our actual genomes. So I wasn't sure about the clarifications there. Um let's see. I have actually no idea, so I'm going to say the humble tangerine.
1: We so covered that tangerines aren't GMO.
0: <laughs> well, clementines are they? Are clementines Wait. a kind of tangerine? Surely, right? Like they're all citrus. The tangerines have like right? the, the thin skin, don't they? I'm. Yeah. I actually don't eat anything <laughs> in the orange family. The membranes gross me out. They get stuck in my teeth, and I hate it.
1: So this is a fruit, and it's purple.
0: A purple fruit, so it's got to be a grape or like apple size. A plum. Yeah,
1: it's a plum. Oh, okay, so a plum. Okay, so plums have been genetically modified to have this coat protein mutant given to it, so it is ex- it can block the plum pox virus. I can see why you wouldn't
0: give me that. The plum pox virus. Okay, so I'm assuming the plums are susceptible to um, invasion and infection by this plum pox virus that can just severely weaken the fruit itself and just destroy the plants.
1: Yeah, it just degrades the the fruit of it. Mm -hmm. Very sad. Plums are delicious. Yes, so thank you, Modern
0: Biotechnology, for saving our plums. Plus one, plums are delicious. Thanks, Modern Biotech. Okay, that was hard. No, it gets a little bit easier. Plum is weird.
1: You don't think of plums when you think of GMOs. No. Okay, so number two the gene for, so the protein gene um, encoding, okay, so brace yourself.
0: Here we
1: go. Enol pyruvate shikimate 3 phosphate synthase. Oh, my favorite. Or EPSPS, which I don't know which one's harder to say. EPSPS rolls right off the tongue. (laughs) And this, okay, so it's a mutant of the EPSPS protein gene that is immune to glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup. And this mutant came from Agrobacterium tumefaciens strain CP4. So they they found this mutant form of this EPSPS EPSPS. (laughs) gene that was resistant to Roundup, which is a broad-spectrum herbicide, and they gave it to another organism to make it resistant to glyphosate.
0: Okay, so this has to be one that we use on a broad scale as far as agriculture goes. This isn't something more niche like plums. I'm sorry, plum farmers. I think what you do is very important. So at this point, I'm kind of leaning either... um, Okay, so it's got to be corn or soybeans because we use a lot of Roundup when we're talking about the farming of corn or soybeans, and uh, I'm going to say corn. You're you're so right. So the
1: the main answer here is soybean. Oh, but I tried. But this this mutated form of the EPSPS gene has been inserted into several different major crops. Oh, so, so I was wrong. Yeah, oh. you were totally right. Yes. <laughs> It's been inserted into soybean, um, corn, canola, alfalfa, cotton, and sorghum. So there are a lot of um, these crops that have been modified with this gene.
0: And so this gene allows these crops to continue to kick even after they've been doused in Roundup, which kills theoretically all the other weeds or non-desirable plants that are growing in that same space.
1: Yeah. So it's a gene and it's a protein that all plants have. They all have EPSPS. It's essential to making um, critical amino acids for the plant. And that's why it's so deadly when glyphosate inhibits it. But this one mutant, it just has a few changes that allow it to evade um, glyphosate death. So yeah. We could do an entire show, and we probably will, on glyphosate and Roundup. So, brace yourself for that in the future. (laughs) But yes, so there's lots of crops that have been modified with this gene. And they are so-called Roundup-ready crops.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: That was number two. On number three. So, this organism has received a gene carrying the insecticidal protein cry1ab from Bacillus thuringiensis. It is a soil-dwelling bacterium. If you're not familiar with that one,
0: so this plant, you know, it's it's just off my list of my top five favorite soil-dwelling bacterium. Um, so this one carries a copy of the insecticidal gene cry1ab. Cry1ab. Do you want a hint?
1: Please. It only affects the digestive tract of a certain borer pest, and the digestive tract is basic. Blank borer.
0: Well, here's the problem, is I'm such a homeowner homeowner, that the first thing I think of is the emerald ash tree and the emerald ash borer. Mm -hmm. Um, However, what we're thinking of is... The first thing that comes to mind is an apple, but that's not right.
1: Um, this might be a key, too. So, that soil drilling bacterium, Bacillus thuringiensis, mm-hmm. what's the first, like, abbreviate those with the first letter of each
0: word? BTA? Nothing? This might be an episode illuminating my ignorance about the food that I eat. <laughs> You know, I a guy
1: in undergrad gave a really good talk about this, mm-hmm. and it was at that time it was called BT blank, like the crop. Oh, and so I didn't know if that would be. I don't know how
0: widespread that is, so that probably wasn't a good hint. BT, no, it's probably not a bad hint. It's probably just a uh, poor recipient of said hint. The potato. No, oh, so close. I don't know. Corn. Corn.
1: BT corn. Oh. To be fair though, this is just one of many varieties of GMO corn. There are over 33 varieties right now available of GMO corn. So it does this, the Bt corn has this insecticidal protein that is inside of the corn itself when it grows. And this corn borer was causing massive damage and crop loss. by expressing this insecticidal protein that only affects the digestive tract of these corn borers, it kills off those but leaves everything else safe. Brilliant. So very much safe for human consumption because thankfully we don't have basic digestive tracts, we have acidic ones. So, okay. Yeah. Oh no, you're doing so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Well, you could probably answer soybean and corn for all of these. <laughs> right.
0: Because those seem to be the ones, especially corn, that we've tinkered with the most.
1: Oh, this next one's really interesting. Okay, okay. I'm here for it. Okay. Let's do it. So the gene that has been introduced in this organism is the ACP thioesterase from the California bay tree. And so it has this new, it's a fat metabolizing... Enzyme. Okay. Um and it has caused the organism to have
0: higher fat content in its seeds. Okay. Higher fat content in its seeds. This almost makes me think that this is something that creates a nut. An almond? Almond, nope. almond tree? No. Macadamia. Nope. Am I off
1: No think base? oils. Oils. Think oils
0: okay um oh that would make sense higher fat content perhaps a california bay tree i'm gonna continue to think that california lifestyle uh perhaps canola (gasps) oh you did
1: it Ah! all right so they have yes so it's canola they've added this acp thioesterase gene And what that does is it ups the fat content in the seeds and canola is already, like the fat is extracted from the seeds to make canola oil. However, right now the oils have limited use as is and to get a solid form of the oil, which is liquid, you have to either hydrogenate it or mix it with other things to make it a solid into an actual fat. Um, And that has a lot of unfortunate consequences and extra steps that don't really need to be there so by upping the fat content they can already straight produce fats instead of the oils that are more um production ready and don't need to have all this extra processing to work with it so
0: that's very cool and that streamlines the process makes things easier and less production heavy allows us to get that good good canola oil that we use quite a bit of in western cuisine
1: And I just like that this is an example of we've changed a trait of the organism that's beneficial at the end stage and not Mm -hmm. just during the growing phase. Like it's more in line with the product.
0: It saves us a step post-harvest, but pre-consumption. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: And hydrogenated fats, um, I believe those are the ones that
1: produce trans fat. So those are the ones we want to avoid. So anything that we can do to prevent Trans fats, I'm all I'm on board.
0: Absolutely, sign me up. Okay, so we are on to number five. All right, I've got one and a half points so far. No, I think you have more. Two. <laughs> I think
1: there's at least three because you got the corn, corn and soybean. Soybean.
0: Soy Eps. We got. We
1: got to plum. We got to plum. <laughs> um, okay, so number five. This organism has had four genetic modifications made to it. They have had four interfering RNAs put into the organism. And so this is a little different than putting in just a straight gene. What interfering RNAs do is they actually turn off another gene. So they're effectively tuning down proteins that are already active in that plant or in that organism. So that this, this organism has four interfering RNAs that have been introduced um, to dampen undesirable traits like bruising and asparagine production.
0: Hmm. This is an interesting one, too, because I feel like the bruising almost gives it away. Is this the, is this the humble apple? No. Okay, let me try again. Um, turn down bruising. Why do I keep thinking apples are genetically modified? Because we have so many No, I think there are.
1: I think actually, you know, I think a very similar thing like this has been done to apples. I'm not certain. Mm -hmm. But this is the other, other one that
0: bruises. The other white fruit meat.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, in French, like what's the word for apples? Palms?
0: I never took French. I took Espanol. It's manzana.
1: So... That this organism is actually called apples of the earth in French, so oh. I really feel like I have to give it to you <laughs> by way of the
0: French language. <laughs> Thank you, France. Okay, apples of the earth. I, okay, Kelsey, you guys, and I even know, I've heard this before. Is it a beet? Mm-mm. No, beets don't bruise. Roots don't bruise.
1: You know, it's really a terrible name. These are not apples of the earth. I mean, they're definitely of the earth, <laughs> but they're not apples. <laughs>
0: Okay, I've got to give it. I've got to give it a go. Um, so it's not an apple. It's an apple of the earth. It is a. It's not like something obscure like a pomegranate.
1: It's got to be a. Do you want me to tell you the company that is making it?
0: Tell me the company.
1: Okay, so I didn't write down the name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't tell but me the company. <laughs>
1: but they're in Boise, Idaho. Is it the potato? It is the potato. Oh, <laughs> the potato. Potato. And this company is actually they I they didn't start off as a scientific company. They are a potato company <laughs> and they have been the supplier of McDonald's French fried potatoes. Wow. Forever.
0: What a good market to be in. <laughs> they got that one locked.
1: So yes, so they are the McDonald's French Fry Potato Company. Is it a russet potato? I believe so. It's, they call it the innate potato. The, <laughs> the innate. And they chose that name because they took these interfering RNAs from other potato varieties. Mm-hmm. And so they're very much keeping the modification within the family. Even though it still qualifies as a transgenic because Mm -hmm. it's been moved from one variety to another, um, it's very much all potatoes.
0: And it is very nice to keep it in the family. One potato with all of the best interfering RNAs from all your potato brethren. I love that. All right. Yeah. So
1: that's the, um, the innate potato. It does not bruise. And it does not produce as, as much asparagine. So asparagine is an amino acid, which is essential. So you don't want to lose all of it. You need to still have some of it there. Um, but asparagine, actually, I didn't know this. When you, um, when you cook asparagine, it sometimes can form acrylamide, which is a oh. probable carcinogen. And apparently potatoes have a large amount of asparagine. And so when we fry potatoes, there's actually quite a high amount of acrylamide. Which is
0: awful. So, <laughs> for context, when we work with acrylamide in the lab, we do it often under a hood as far as when it's in the powder form because it can be incredibly damaging to you. And in fact, you don't really want it on your skin. So, much less do you want to eat it out of a fryer, delicious, crunchy French fry potato acrylamide.
1: So, yeah, so this potato is now let, um, not bruising, which bruising causes $300 million in losses every year. Mm-hmm. So there's very much an economical component of that. And there's then there's the asparagine and acrylamide connection, which, you know, woohoo, less carcinogens.
0: And it's interesting, too, because there's a big push. Um, because the problem with the United States agriculture market, as far as, like, produce goes, is that people want to buy pretty produce. And not produce that is banged up or bruised or maybe like a little small or misshapen. So there's been sort of a push in the grocery store industry to figure out ways to sell people uh, produce that has been bruised or perhaps is in a less desirable shape or something like that. So this is a way around this by making a produce that doesn't bruise. Yeah,
1: And I think... There is actually an innate apple that they're making as well, or the Arctic apple. I can't remember what it was called. Is this a, uh,
0: like a a proper noun, like capital I, innate, capital P, potato? I think so. I love it a lot.
1: (laughs) 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 And the Arctic apple, I want to say that one doesn't bruise as
0: well. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. I think that's the apple that I keep trying to answer for every one of these. I'm here for the apple. You're here for it. And I didn't have it on the list.
1: (laughs) Next time follow up um okay so we're ready for the final organism and it's a doozy so the gene that has been introduced into this organism is OPAFP ghc2 protein another one that rolls right off the tongue and it is a growth hormone protein from a different variety of organism in the same class okay that i can't say okay and these organisms grow 11 times faster than their non-GMO counterparts.
0: Okay. So they have
1: a growth hormone protein that makes them grow much faster. Okay. Things that come to mind. And you got to think way out of the box on this one. But give me what you're thinking. <laughs> okay.
0: okay. So the first thing that comes to mind is something like a banana. mm mm-hmm. um, But I don't think that's Right. I don't think we have GMO bananas because I think we're actually experiencing a banana population crisis right now. Mm. They're all clones. Yeah, they're all clones of the same thing. I think a GMO banana would actually breathe some uh, genetically modified life into the banana population, so to speak. Growth, increased growth 11 times faster. Can I have one small hint? Because there's so many things I could think of. Yeah, no, there's this...
1: It's controversial. It's one of the most recent GMOs that have been approved, and they don't grow in a field.
0: Is it like a peanut? No.
1: No, that's a really good guess, though.
0: We eat a lot of peanuts, spoken by the woman who likes to eat peanut butter with a spoon.
1: Yeah, I can give you another hint, too, because this one's hard. One more hint. Okay, so they don't grow in a field. It's not lemons or limes, is it? It's not in the plant kingdom.
0: Is this a fish? Yeah. Ah, okay. Um. Is it tilapia? No. Is it salmon? Yes. Ah! It's the
1: aqua advantage salmon.
0: Yes, I've heard of this. I've heard of this. This is kind of bananas, but salmon can get really big, but they tend to traditional homegrown salmon take a long time to get incredibly huge, like the size of a grown man's arm. So I can see why having a GMO that salmon that would grow faster... We like to eat a lot of salmon, would be a useful agricultural and financial sort of venture.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's notable because it is the first GMO animal or GMO livestock that's been approved. Mm, oh, so, yeah. And um, just to set everybody's minds at ease, so this aqua Advantage salmon, they are only ever female, and they are triploidy, so they have three sets of all the chromosomes, so they cannot reproduce. So there's no
0: risk of them um, escaping into the great, violent. greater waterways and reproducing with regular salmon.
1: Yes, and passing on these genetic modifications. Um, and fun story, seedless watermelons are the same thing. They are... Uh, triploidy or hexaploidy or something crazy so they don't produce seeds they're they're sterile
0: (laughs) not gmo just a fun fact but delicious wow i can't believe i got that one yeah
1: and it came from the the hormone that they gave to the salmon actually came from a different variety of salmon Mm. the chinook salmon so they're borrowing it from the same um family
0: interesting
1: Very cool. Yeah. So what have we learned? We have learned what GMOs are. So they're scientifically created in the lab using means that could not be done through traditional breeding. We've learned about six incredible organisms that have been modified for various reasons. Sometimes it's to make a better end product, as with canola. Other times it's so we can um, control the weed population with herbicide resistance. And other times it's controlled pests that devastate yeah. crops.
0: Or to increase the, or to speed up the time to maturation for something like the salmon, which instead of taking a few years to cultivate a salmon crop, we can now speed it up to a couple of months. Maybe even less. I
1: think it is within like a year. They're full grown or something crazy. Maybe a little over a year. Absolutely wow. fascinating. Wow, wow. We hope we've shed some light on just exactly what GMOs are, because I think a lot of the concern and some of the fear comes from just not knowing. So hopefully we've taught you a little bit. I know I've learned quite a bit myself. Me too. My brain hurts. Still can't get over plums. But we hope you'll tune in, and if you have any further GMO questions, we can absolutely come back to this issue. There's a lot to talk about. Um, so just let us know. Reach out on Facebook or visit our website, flyoverstatescience.com.
0: We'll be revisiting scintillating topics such as gluten and glyphosate. glyphosate in the future. So stay tuned. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play. And be sure to follow us for updates on our blog and more excellent podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.